You're listening to a message from our Sunday morning service at Hayes Hills Baptist Church, where we seek to bring life-changing hope to an ever-changing people through the unchanging gospel. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit hayeshills.com. Our prayer is that this message would serve to equip and empower you to live as a follower of Jesus in conjunction with your belonging to a local body of believers. Well, we're currently walking through our series on 1 Corinthians, which we'll be in for the majority of this year. We'd encourage you to follow along, and we hope that this message serves as a blessing to you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, We have an image uh, we can throw up on the screens for you here this morning, and and I want to ask you, which of the, the two orange circles is, is larger? The one on the left or the one on the right? And uh, probably you, you might already be aware that this is an optical illusion. They're actually the same, same size. Um, but, but it's interesting, isn't it, how optical illusions can, can trick us. Uh, one uh, science writer wrote this. He says, I love illusions because they show us in no uncertain terms that what we see is not what we get. It's extremely easy to fool our eyes and brain, and we should never simply trust what we see. What we think is going on is a fair and accurate representation of reality. That is why we have science. But science isn't all that reliable either, is it? I mean, just as our eyes can skew the, the data that we see there on the screen so that we come to the wrong conclusions, scientists can skew the data so that we come to the wrong conclusions too. Uh, For example, a number of years ago, two Yale sociologists and a Harvard economist uh, published a study on marriage, and uh, their study caused numerous news outlets to run with headlines and and run a story that shared that unmarried women at the age of 35, only 5% of them were likely to ever get married. And unmarried women at 40 were, quote, more likely to be killed by a terrorist, (laughs) Now, now, that's just not true. Uh, follow-up studies on census data showed that unmarried women aged 35 to 39, actually 37% of them will get married, and unmarried women 40 to 44, about 24% of them will be married. And so, so the, the science was just wrong. Or you can think back to 1996 when NASA declared that they had found evidence of life on Mars from 3.6 billion years ago. It was this gigantic headline breakthrough story, but people began to to poke holes in their conclusions, and within two years, NASA had to come back and say, we were wrong. The science was wrong. And, And so in a world like ours, where so many people are speaking so many theories, it can often be overwhelming to determine, who should I trust? What can I trust? And that's not only a problem for 21st century America, it was also a problem for those in the first century at Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth there in chapter 2 to show them the limits of the wisdom and knowledge of the world and to point them to the ultimate source of wisdom and knowledge that we can find. And so if you brought your Bible this morning, and I hope you did, I want to invite you to turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you've got a digital device that you can use to pull up the scriptures, I'd encourage you to search for the ESV, the English Standard Version, 
as that's the translation of the Bible I'll be reading from today. And so if, if you search ESV 1 Corinthians 2, you'll be able to follow right along with me. And I'm going to begin reading there in verse 6. And the Apostle Paul writes this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is God's word to us today. And here in, in verse 6, the Apostle Paul makes clear that what he teaches is wisdom. It's, it's knowledge, but it's not the, the wisdom and knowledge of the world. He says, if you want real wisdom and real knowledge, what you want is the wisdom that I have to offer you, which is the wisdom of God, because the wisdom of the world is limited. And first, he says, the wisdom of the world is limited because it is limited by time. Um, you know, uh, for all of us, the clock is ticking, isn't it? Uh, that's what Paul writes there in verse 6. He says, um, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Why not? Because they are doomed to pass away. The clock is ticking. And so, uh, while the Library of Congress holds over 51 million books, and that's a lot of knowledge, if you were to read 100 books a year for the next 60 years, you'd only read 6,000 of them. And so, at the end of all of that reading, there'd still be 50,994,000 books that you hadn't read. And so, uh, the time is limited for us all. We're, we're born... And from the time we are born, our minds begin to take in knowledge and make sense of the world around us. And God has created the human mind, and it is a masterpiece, isn't it? I mean, you see kids, their first day of kindergarten, they go in, they barely know their letters. By the end of the year, they're reading chapter books. And, and you think, these kids, their brains are like sponges. They're just soaking all of this in. It's amazing. But how long do our minds have to soak in that knowledge? With good health, we might have 100 years. And so we are barely scratching the surface of what there is to know about this world. 
Our knowledge is limited because our time is limited, and there is so, only so much time for us to learn. But not only is human knowledge limited because our time to learn is limited, human knowledge is also limited by time because we are limited by the time we are living in. Um, you know, uh, for hundreds of years, bloodletting was a common medical practice. George Washington died in part because when he fell ill, do you know what his physician did? Drained approximately 40% of the man's blood. Now you think, why would he do that? Well, because they thought that was the best treatment they had available to them. There's no way that would happen today. We would treat that illness completely differently because our knowledge has grown. And you know what? In another hundred years, we would treat that same illness differently because our knowledge will continue to grow. And our knowledge, human knowledge, the world's wisdom is limited by the time we are living in. We are not privy to the knowledge of the future, nor are we privy to the knowledge of the past. So, for example, how, how were the Great Pyramids built? What is the deal with dinosaurs? Like, we've got some educated guesses, but that's all they are, guesses, because we weren't there and we don't know what happened. And so, human knowledge, it is limited by the time that we have to learn, and it is limited by the time we are living in. But the knowledge of the world, the wisdom of the world, it's not only limited by the, by the time that we have, it is also limited by the tools we have at our disposal. It's what Paul is writing there in verse 9. Notice he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. And Paul is saying our senses are not enough. If you are depending on what you see, what you hear, what you touch, your sense experience to help you make sense of the world, you're going to come to some wrong conclusions about reality. Because your senses can put you in touch with the physical world, but there is a spiritual dimension to this world that your eyes cannot see, your ears cannot hear, and your hands cannot touch. And so if you are dependent on your senses to make sense of reality, you're going to come to some wrong conclusions. But it's not just your senses that are limited, it's also your mind. Look there at verse 11. Paul says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And what Paul is saying there is that the only person who really knows what you're thinking is you. Someone who knows you well, they might, they might be able to make some guesses about what you're thinking in a given moment. But the only person who ever really knows what you're thinking at the moment is you. And so uh, we, we, we might think, you know, hey, uh, we, can, we can get God-like knowledge. It'll be within our grasp. But he says here in verse 11, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows what's going on in God's mind but God. And so we can try to come up with new and better tools that, that we think will give us God-like knowledge. We can develop AI. And we think, okay, we can't read 51 million books in the Library of Congress, but artificial intelligence can. 
And if we construct the right tool, it can, it can uh, read all those books and then we can query AI and it will give us the answers we seek and we will have at our fingertips the knowledge of God. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you this, while artificial intelligence may have access to all the archives of knowledge in this world, artificial intelligence does not have access to the mind of God. And so the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God is not within our grasp because we do not have access to the mind of God. We are limited by the tools at our disposal. And so if you are, are, are banking on the wisdom of the world to solve the problems that we have, if you think that the wisdom of the world is going to bring peace and put an end to war, or that the wisdom of the world is going to bring prosperity and put an end to greed. Or that the wisdom of the world is going to bring healing and put an end to physical and emotional pain. You are going to be disappointed. But we have hope because we don't simply have access to the wisdom of the world. We also have access to the wisdom of God. And that's what Paul is pointing the Corinthians and you and I to this morning here in this text. He says... Um, uh, look, the, the good news is the wisdom of the world, it is limited, but we have access to the wisdom of God that is unlimited and it is unchanging first because when it comes to God, time is not a barrier but a benefit. When, when it comes to God, time isn't a barrier but a benefit. Notice there in verse 6 and 7, he says, look, among the mature we do impart wisdom. It's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of the age because they're doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Uh, literally in the Greek there in verse 7, it is that, that God predestined before the ages began for our glory. And I want you to think with me for just a moment or two about what that means. Why does this world exist? Why is it here? It's here because God spoke it into existence. God made a decree. He said, let there be light, and, and there was light. And then God made a decree, and he said, you know, uh, let the, the skies be filled with birds, and the, the seas be filled with fish, and, and the ground filled with creeping things that'll, that'll crawl upon the earth. And it was so. God spoke this world into existence. And so God knows all things, not simply because he has existed before all things, but because God has spoken them into existence. We don't know who built the pyramids and how, how exactly they were constructed. We don't know what the deal is with dinosaurs. God does because he was there and because he spoke it into being. Not only that, he says, um, we impart this secret and hidden wisdom. And what is that wisdom? He told us back in chapter 1, verse 23, he said, this wisdom is this, we preach Christ crucified. And this, this wisdom, it, it means that God not only, and it demonstrates that God not only has perfect knowledge of the past, but that God has perfect knowledge of the future. Because he, here is the good news of the gospel. We all know what it's like to worry, don't we? And many of you, you know the paradox of anxiety. You felt it. Where, where you struggle to get things done, not because your heart and your mind have slowed down, but because they've sped up. 
And, and your, your mind, your heart, it, they're just racing. They feel like they're spinning out of control. You try to slow them down, but you can't because you know that there is a future and you don't know what's going to happen in it. And that is the source of all worry and anxiety, isn't it? That, that we know there's a future, we don't know what's going to happen in it, but we're convinced it's not going to be good. And God comes in the gospel and he sends Jesus And Jesus, although we're all deserving of of death and hell because of our sin, Jesus lives a perfect life. He goes to a cross. He dies on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. Jesus dies. But on the third day, he rises from the dead. And he rises from the dead to show us what the future is like. He rises from the dead to show us that a day is coming when death will finally be defeated. A day is coming when all of those who have put their hope and their trust in Jesus, they will rise to live forever with him in a new heaven and a new earth, a new world. And it is a world in which you will not worry because you will not have a thing to worry about. And between now and then, we can dissolve our worries in this good news that Jesus stepped out of the fog of the future Not only to speak to us and to teach us, but to show us what the future will be like. That there is a new world and we have a hope in it. And that's why we sing, don't we? Uh, You know, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. It's why we sing, but because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, this life is worth the living just because he lives. In the gospel, we have seen the future. And we don't know how everything is going to play out, but we know the ultimate reality that those in Christ will rise to rule and reign with him forever. When it comes to God, time is not a barrier, but a benefit. Secondly, when it comes to God, the reason the wisdom of God is is unlimited and unchanging is because God has access to the right tools. In verse 11, Paul said, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Only you know what you're thinking. He continues, So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so Paul says, look, the only person who really has a God-like wisdom and knowledge is God himself. He knows what he's thinking. And that could cause us to conclude, hey, we we never have any chance of gaining God-like wisdom and knowledge. Because we can't get into the mind of God. We can't even get into the mind of God with AI. But hear me out. What if you didn't have to get into the mind of God, but instead... God were to get into your mind. That's what Paul says has happened here in verse 12. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The good news of the gospel is that after Jesus rose to show us what the future would be like, he ascended to heaven And he sent his Holy Spirit into the lives of all of those who put their hope and their trust in him. And so you can't get into the mind of God, but God has gotten into your mind and into your heart if your trust is in him. 
And so you can know the wisdom and the knowledge of God, not because you've ascended to the, the mind of God, but because he has condescended to dwell inside of you and me. Isn't that good news? That we have the Spirit of God in us. And so um, what he says is, look, um, what Adam and Eve tried to get in the garden through their sin, the wisdom of God, by eating the forbidden fruit, God has freely given to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. Jesus died not only to save us, but to give us what the heart of every human most desperately craves, God-like wisdom and knowledge. Throughout human history, every human being has been looking for God-like wisdom and understanding and knowledge, and we've thought, okay, it's out there, I've just got to find it and take it. But Paul is saying, God-like wisdom and knowledge, it cannot be found and grasped. God-like wisdom and knowledge must be freely given through the grace of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has to come into your heart and into your mind so that you might begin to understand the things of God. And, and with that understanding that, that the wisdom of the world is limited, but the wisdom of God is unlimited and unchanging for these reasons, I want to close quickly with three points of application. First, I want us to see in the text that the message the new believer needs to hear and the message the mature believer needs to hear is actually the same thing. It is the message of the cross. Look there at, at verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Paul says when we're around mature believers, we, we want to give them wisdom. And what is the wisdom Paul imparts to the mature believer? It is Christ crucified. And so what the new believer needs to hear, what the unbeliever needs to hear, what the mature believer needs to hear is the same message. It is the message of the cross, Christ crucified. Because we are not only saved by the gospel, we are sanctified by the gospel. We are made more like Jesus. We grow in Jesus-like actions and habits as we come to understand the implications of Christ crucified. And so, for example, you, you find it easy to get frustrated with other Christians at times. To think, you know, why are they doing that? Why would they say that? Why would they believe that? Why don't they get it? Why do they act that way? They're making us all look bad. They look, make me look bad. I don't know about you, but I, I find it pretty easy at times to get frustrated with other Christians. It's easy for me to want to pull away from people. But what do I see in the wisdom of Christ crucified? I see that Jesus, he didn't pull away from us, did he? He drew near to us. Jesus loved us even though it hurt him. And so the, the more I have Christ crucified in my vision, I'm not going to pull away from people. I'm going to push towards them even when it hurts. And it does, doesn't it? And so, Hayes Hills, if we are going to have patience with one another, if we are going to love one another, we have to have in front of us Christ crucified. We have to remember Jesus loved them enough to die for them. And if I'm going to love Jesus, I've got to love them too. Secondly, I want you to see here in the text that you can't argue someone into heaven. 
verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And what Paul is saying is you can, you can speak to your unbelieving neighbor about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And you can use airtight logic to make your case. But if the Holy Spirit of God is not at work in their heart and their mind, it won't make a bit of difference. Because to the natural person, the things of the Spirit of God, they're just foolishness. For anyone to come to understand the gospel, for anyone to come to saving faith, the Holy Spirit of God has to be at work in their heart and in their mind. And here's why I think this is so encouraging. Because for so many of us, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to, to tell it to two, we are afraid to speak to unbelievers around us because we think to ourselves, if I start talking to them about Jesus, they may ask me a question about Jesus that I don't know the answer to, and I'm going to blow the chance for them to be saved. But he, here's the good news of this text. If you speak to someone, you know, the, the, the words you speak in public, they matter. Like evangelism has not happened until you speak with your mouth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Hayes Hills, may we speak of it. But the words you speak in public are not the only words that matter. The words you speak in prayer also matter. That you pray, God, would you send the Holy Spirit into their heart, into their mind, so that when I speak to them, when others speak to them, they would understand the things of the Spirit of God. And that means when you speak to that unbelieving neighbor and they've got a question, guess what? You don't have to be the expert. Because if they're going to be saved, the Holy Spirit of God is going to be at work in their heart and in their mind to give them understanding. So you don't have to know the answer to every question. And, and if the Holy Spirit of God isn't at work in their heart and in their mind, if you know the answer, it's not really going to do them any good. You see how that kind of frees you from the burden of like, I got to be the expert and I, I got to have all the arguments down and I got to answer every question? No, because the natural person will find the things of the Spirit of God to be foolishness. The Holy Spirit must be at work in their hearts and in their minds. So may we be praying for the lost, for the Spirit to be unleashed in their life and for us to speak with our tongues and for them to understand. And then third and finally, I want you to see here in the text that because the wisdom of the world is limited. The world's assessment of you will be unreliable. Because the world's wisdom is limited, the world's assessment of you is unreliable. That's what Paul is saying in verse 15. He says, the spiritual person judges all things. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, if you have the wisdom of God you have the ability to evaluate all things. Now, you might get some things wrong. You will get some things wrong because you're going to depend on your own wisdom and your own knowledge instead of the wisdom of God at times. But in so much as you depend upon the wisdom of God and God gives you understanding, you have the ability to evaluate everything. But he goes on and he says, but the spiritual person himself is to be judged by no one. And what he's saying is because the wisdom of the world is limited, their assessment of you is unreliable. The world is going to look at your marriage and say, what you need to be happy is a divorce. 
The world's going to look at you at times and say, what you need to be happy is gender reassignment, or you need to explore your sexuality. The world's going to look at you and look at your grades and say, you're never going to amount to anything. Look at those grades. The world's going to look at your job performance and say, you're always going to be someone who underperforms. The world is going to look at you and try to slap a label on you and say, you will always be fearful, anxious, depressed, alone. You're never going to make it in life. This is who you are. But the good news of this text is that your life is not determined by what the world says about you, but by what God says about you. And back in verse 7, what has God done before the ages began? He spoke into existence a plan of salvation for what? For his glory, yes, but here in this text, Paul is emphasizing, he spoke into existence a plan of salvation for your glory and your good. And so some of us, we just, we need to go home and we need to make a list of all the things that God has said about us. That, that, that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that you're accepted, that you're not alone, you're not forgotten, that you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And like we could go on all afternoon, right? But you, you go home and you make that list and you, you put it on your bathroom mirror or you put it on the dash of your car, you put it on the refrigerator in the kitchen so that every day you are reminded that you, you are not determined, your life is not determined by the world's assessment of you, what the world says about you, but by what God says about you and has said about you from before the foundation of the world. Because the wisdom of the world is limited. But the wisdom of God is unlimited and unchanging. Would you pray with me? Thanks for tuning in to the Hayes Hills Podcast Network. Feel free to follow us for more content, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at hayeshills.com.